Welcome to On Marketing, a show where we explore marketing's first principles, mental models, and my favorite, contrarian takes. This is a space where thinking differently about marketing isn't just encouraged, it's a rule. My aim is not to tell you what to think, it's assisting you in improving how you think about marketing and life. It's September 8th, 2023. I'm Jordan Ogren, a marketing strategist by day and a podcast host by night, always keen on uncovering new marketing insights. Joining me today is Jasmine Nakumichi, a dynamic professional in digital marketing and demand generation. Jasmine's expertise lies in integrating various marketing factors, facets, from strategy to execution, especially in the world of B2B. Her marketing approach is both comprehensive and, my favorite, a little bit nuanced, focusing on long-term value creation and effective communication. In this episode, we discuss the significance of brand building and B2B marketing, the intricacies of demand generation, strategies for effective content marketing, understanding and leveraging community dynamics, and the role of mindfulness in the beginner's mindset in marketing. Ready to get in? Before we do, make sure to subscribe to the newsletter to get the newest episodes right when they come out and other insights and learnings I'm gaining on marketing and life. The link to subscribe to that is in the first line of the show notes. Also, a reminder that if you're watching this on YouTube, you can listen as a podcast. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, you can find it on YouTube and watch. So whatever works best for you, please indulge. And finally, the opinions shared in this podcast are individual views of the host and guests not representing their employers or associated organizations. The content is intended for informational purposes and should not be considered professional marketing guidance. Listeners act on the information provided at their own risk. I'll see you on the other side. What is marketing and what job should it get done in a company? Yeah, I wanted to start with this one by saying, you know, I think there's this misconception that marketing exists solely to drive leads to sales. Um, A lot of times when people talk about marketing, it's always in that relationship with sales, right? So it's really undeniable that those two teams need to work together and need to find some kind of harmony. But there also should be, as marketers, we should have a broader marketing goal around positioning yourself properly in your given market or building a brand beyond an individual product that you sell, if that makes any sense. So, you know, like I work a lot in startups. I don't know how familiar you are with my background, but um, typically startups are not at that phase yet. It's definitely something, you know, you have to grow past a certain amount of customers or amount of revenue before you can really start thinking about your broader brand. Um, But it does, it doesn't directly involve guiding prospects to leads. So I always hear this kind of tension from stakeholders that they don't really want to invest in kind of broader marketing goals like that, because they want to see that direct and immediate ROI. I'm sure that's something that you've experienced too. So it's more of that long term play. And that's something that I really like to consider when we're thinking about you know, the job that marketing has or the function that it serves within a company. So kind of going back to your question, I think the goal of marketing should really be efficiently and effectively positioning your brand in your relevant spaces, and then obviously nurturing the broader image of your company. In addition to, you know, that relationship with sales that I brought up in the beginning. So nurturing leads past the point of prospect to being, okay, I'm ready to book a call with your team or I'm ready to convert. Hmm. That's a really, really good answer. Cause I think you had a lot of caveats that kind of caught all of the different angles. Cause I think marketing is such a broad topic. And to your first point, revenue, this kind of that 
has been kind of something I've heard a lot is, okay, if it's not driving revenue, if it's not doing some of those things, well, essentially it could just be better named cheerleading because you're just kind of like saying like, look at us. But I think to your point, there is a lot of value in building a brand because yes, you can run performance, you can do all of that. But in recessions or in certain points, brand's nice to have because it's just something that lasts forever. But how did you get to this this definition where it's not only about revenue or it 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 has a focus on revenue. Like, how did you get there? Did you think it was revenue before and you had experiences that changed or how did you get to your current definition? Yeah, definitely. I think early on in my career, I started out as, you know, as a lot of marketers do in the very content heavy section or the execution section. So I started out copywriting. I did a little bit of dabbling in design, um, things like that. So I think with that lens, a lot of times you can get so bogged down by the day to day of like, okay, these are the assets that need to be created. This is the messaging that I'm trying to push out that you kind of fail to think about a little bit of that longer term play or like the broader brand image that you're building here and how it all fits into a bigger strategy because you're just about, okay, this is the content that needs to go out this week and this is the content that needs to go out this week. So um, I think that transition for me personally only started happening when um, I got in deeper into marketing strategy and the I guess, bigger concepts or theories behind building marketing strategies. So less about the execution of specific assets that are going to go out and more about how does this um, build into a broader story about our brand and the image that we're curating for the people um, that may not even be opportunities right now, but are probably potential opportunities down the line. And I think a part, part of that also comes into play when you talk about niching down on exact personas that you want to speak to and how those people perceive your brand and how your messaging kind of plays into their perception of your brand. So I don't think it was necessarily like it happened at any point or like I had an immediate shift in mind, but just as you kind of, as I've gotten more opportunities to open up my kind of ideas about marketing and, and how it plays into the bigger role of a, of a company, um, that's kind of how I, I, bought into that theory, I guess. That makes a lot of sense. I feel marketing at the highest level is somewhat of this holding to dis divergent thoughts of we need to drive revenue. We need short-term action, but we also need to do the content, build the libraries, build these resources that to your point, people can consume, engage with that aren't in buying mode, which is probably over 90% of uh, the prospects. They're just not ready to buy at the time. I have a pain, but it's not. So then they can engage with it. It's kind of this challenge of like, I have to hold these contradicting thoughts. We need to focus short term, but we also need to focus. And you can break that into performance brand, all these different frameworks or models to think through it. But I think it's really important to understand marketing can't just be this executionary piece of a business because um, not saying that the business strategy marketing has to create it, but there has to be some of that strategic part to make marketing effective or marketing will be an order taker. And I don't see that usually ending up being effective for an organization in the long term. Yeah, I've definitely seen too. I feel like, um, especially in early stage startups, the first marketing hire will their kind of goal or the expectation for that hire is just going to be at the execution level. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of times when your startup is at maybe five, 10, 15 people and you have your first marketing hire come in, they're like, okay, we want to start posting consistently on LinkedIn. We want to post a blog once a month. So you're going to be responsible for that. And it's almost like uh, that marketer comes in with execution in mind. And 
don't, don't really get the opportunity to think about the strategy or how they're building a broader brand that almost becomes secondary to it. So it's always interesting to find the balance between like what's the best use of our marketing resources to play both the short term and the long term. Hmm. Uh, I love that. Well said. What is a belief or a thought you have about marketing that maybe it's not something people disagree heavily with, but it's just like, it's not something everyone else has seen that you see. Is there anything that comes to mind for you in marketing? I want to say the big one in recent years, and this is such a buzzword, is kind of that demand gen mindset that people are talking about in B2B, where um, you really want to provide value without any kind of underlying commitment, right? Like, I'm going to gate this ebook so you can't get access to it unless you give me my your email so that my sales team can reach out and pitch to you. Um, and that has kind of been some people still have that mindset. Some people are shifting into more of this value-driven mindset. I definitely fall into the second bucket there. I think providing value without any kind of underlying cost or commitment um, is really, really important to generate not only like interest in your brand, but you'll also as a result or as a consequence will bring in some high quality inbound activity, right? That's something that we do at Impactable that we were talking about before this recording too. Um, Justin, our CEO, and I record um, a similar interview like this style once a week, and we turn that into really valuable little clips of information that we share on LinkedIn. And we share it really freely. Um, we don't really hide anything in there. We specialize in LinkedIn ads, so a lot of times we'll talk about the very specific strategies that we use with clients, and people find a lot of value in that. And Something Justin always says is like, you could download all of my videos from YouTube and create like a $3,000 ebook on LinkedIn ads, or you could run your own LinkedIn ads and not even buy into our services. But the people that we're trying to reach and the people that are most likely to convert are the people that are going to watch that content and be like, oh, LinkedIn ads takes so much more than I thought it would take. It takes like commitment and you have to really understand the channel. And I don't want to spend the time doing that. So I'm just going to hire Justin's team to do it because he obviously knows what he's talking about. So that's kind of the, I guess, mindset there is like providing value without expecting anything will automatically bring people in naturally. Hmm. Do you find that the demand generation to to do it well, it's it's Yes, there's there's execution change or tactic changes, but do you find that it's more about the mindset change, the, the mindset of we can give the secrets away and yes, one person, two people will do it on their own, but majority will come use us, as you just said. How do you think about becoming good at demand generation, like percent wise of a mindset versus like action shift? Like where do you think like most of the emphasis should be on or is on for demand gen? I definitely think it's a bit of almost like a consequence, right? Like when you have that mindset mindset shift and you really think about providing value and make your marketing strategy less about how many leads can I bring in? You know, how many um, SQLs or MQLs am I bringing to sales? And it's more about how much value can I provide my community? That mindset shift um, is such like a core element to making that shift to demand gen that kind of has to be the first step. And then the execution, of course, is where all of the work comes in. So it's now it's not like I'm going to create content that's about my product and the benefits and the features that I offer. And it's going to be about what's the specific expertise that I share. And that's almost a little bit more difficult to dig into because it kind of requires you to think more deeply about your own expertise and what makes you different from other brands 
outside of the product that you offer, like outside of what feels very directly related related to the company. So um, I think in a lot of ways, the tactical kind of day-to-day -day execution of it only really happens once you have that mindset shift. And the, the biggest part of it, honestly, is going to be getting your stakeholders to buy into it too. Because as marketers, right, like it makes sense to us, definitely, like we totally buy into that long-term play. It's all about what marketing is. But then when you get, you know, you have to get somebody else's investment in it, a lot of your company leadership, they're only going to buy into it if they see direct ROI. And that might not happen for a while because the whole idea is to like build this community, curate a community and then provide value to them and then expect them to convert. And that's not going to happen for a while. Hmm. So we get right back to this kind of paradox of like, it takes time, but we, people want results right away. So essentially how can you do like small bets into the space maybe, or there's probably ways to overcome that challenge of the getting your stakeholders on board. And that could probably be like a whole, whole other podcast, but I really enjoy just the whole fact of this mindset first, and then your actions follow. I think that is true in so many aspects of life. If I want to be a better husband, if I want to be a better human, I can change my actions, of course, but sometimes that won't be sustainable or whichever, rather than changing my mindset, my values, the virtues I hold near to me, which then bleed out into my actions. So I, I really like that emphasis on kind of, yes, your actions need to change, but the mindset going through that will kind of naturally as a consequence, as you said, I like that unintended even, you can then just start acting differently with the mindset shift. Yeah, exactly. I love how beautiful that is too, right? It's, it's like marketing relates to everything in life. You could put it to the way you treat your relationships. You could put it to the way, I don't know, you decorate your house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there there is uh there's some limitations of that. I I had I interviewed someone on my podcast in season 1 and they were they were really against the way that people use dating analogies for marketing. So I totally <laughs> get your point. I think marketing is everything. Everything's marketing. Uh but there are sub triggers for some people depending on the analogy that you use. So I strive to as a metaphor guy, I strive to keep those down because with marketing they're everywhere and it just takes you to look, uh, pull your head up and you can see. No, that's, that's, a, that's a really good uh, kind of conversation. What So Demand Gen, I've, I've interviewed a few people on Demand Gen. I've been a big follower of, of obviously Impactable, but Refine Labs and a few other of these companies who have, you know, what could be category kings and queens, quote unquote, of Demand Gen. What do you see most people, marketers that are trying to do demand gen or companies trying to do demand gen get wrong, that they just don't, if they could kind of get this right, it would make whatever they're trying to the outcome a lot easier by using demand gen. Does anything instantly come to mind of kind of red flags or easy mistakes early demand gen marketers or people doing that make? I think the big one, and this might not even be specific to marketers, but more just people generally that buy into the buzzword of demand gen, but aren't fully committed to it. The big one that I always get from clients at Impactable is like, well, how many leads can I expect? When can I start to expect, you know, these numbers or this to become a specific number, a specific dollar amount of revenue for my company? Um, and I think demand gen is less about the numbers and more about 
the less tangible kind of community building that you're doing there. And so that's where people can kind of get caught up, right? Because in business, obviously, we want to be able to attribute a specific amount of value to every action that we're taking. Otherwise, how do we know that this action is correct? How do we know that this is actually the right direction for our company? I totally understand that. But I think we have to get away from wanting to attribute a dollar value to like every piece of content that I put out or every action that I take. Because at the end of the day, um, I was talking to Justin about this recently. Uh, there's what I like to call kind of three different types of content that you can put out organically. Um, and so when we're talking about organic content, there's content that gets a lot of reach, a lot of impressions. It just gets loved by the algorithm and a ton of people get their eyes on it. There's content that is super engaging. Maybe not a lot of people see it, but you get a lot of comments on it. It starts conversations. People might DM you after seeing that content and be like, hey, I really want to have a deeper conversation about what you're talking about here. And then there's content that um, we kind of call lead magnets. So a lot of times that tends to be product focused content, things that's like uh, encourages people to go to your website and convert and book a call with your team or buy a product. And so um, a lot of people will see lead magnets and see a lot of inbound activity and be like, that is the only content we should post, right? Like, I just want to double down on that. We don't need to focus on the rest of it. I just want to focus on these lead magnets. That's great in theory, because obviously you want to bring inbound in. you want to have people, you know, coming to your website and buying products or buying services. But the only way that those lead magnets shine is by having, you know, content that gets a lot of reach and content that starts conversations. Otherwise, you know, your lead magnets just become stale and it ends up dropping off. And that's where I see a lot of people kind of get the demand gen philosophy wrong is like they'll see the activity from one type of content and just be like, let's just focus there. I don't want to do anything else. But then, you know, you fail to build a community that enables that type of content to shine. Hmm. Oh, that's really good. I like that kind of three types of content breakdown in, in the fact of if that lead magnet is what's driving those maybe outcomes that we instantly want, we can easily be drawn to that to say, why create the other stuff? Why spend time? Let's just keep, keep creating this. I really like that. Going back to something you kind of said about the intangibles um, is demand gen. How do you, because uh, it seems like underneath this challenge or the mistake is somewhat like a need to attribute, which you talked about just a touch, but like, and I, and I, and I wonder if that's somewhat human, like tendency or, or like, I want to be able to kind of tie a dollar to your point, tie a dollar to every action or whatever. Like, how do you, you've done a lot of content on it. So obviously like attribution and all that stuff. So you could say like, go watch a video, but just in a quick blurb, like how do you think about attribution in a way that it doesn't hinder you, but it actually helps you do better marketing? Yeah, that's such a big conversation, right? We could have a whole hour long conversation about attribution in itself. Um, but I will say, uh, I tend to approach attribution as kind of a two pronged approach. So um, part of it is going to be that software attribution, right? There's a lot of tools out there that help you attribute the traffic on your website to specific actions that you're doing, most particularly for paid. I think um, whenever you have a software attribution, it's really easy for it to connect an action that somebody took to an ad that they came from. It's a little bit difficult when it comes to organic content or um, you know, dark social is a really big topic of conversation too, because our, our attribution software isn't going to catch that. So with the software, I also like to lean into self-reported attribution, something we talk about a lot at uh, Impactable too. So every sales call we get on, the first question the sales
sales reps ask is like, how did you find out about us? And we kind of manually log that. It's not the best way. It's going to be a little dirty. It's not always going to be the most accurate. But with attribution and marketing, I don't think we need to be super specific, like super granular. Yes, it's good to know which channel is working best for us. Channel attribution, absolutely a necessity. But when it comes to like the individual ads on this channel or the individual posts on this channel, um, I don't think it's as necessary because you can get, you can lose so much time like trying to find the direct attribution for each action that's being taken and you know you can kind of lose yourself in that and i've done that too where i get so deep in the attribution software that i'm looking at each individual click on the website and which post did they come from what we were talking about in that post so um it's definitely like as long as you understand the channel that it came from the rough timing, you know, that can help you figure out a good attribution strategy. And then if you have the capacity running campaigns, like every month we'll focus on this particular topic. And then if I know, like, let's say I was talking about, you know, LinkedIn ads for one month on LinkedIn, then I, and I had a big spike of activity happen in that time. And my software tells me that activity is coming from LinkedIn and it came, you know, during the month of August, which is when we were running this particular campaign. Then I kind of know, okay, that topic works for me. It works for me on that channel. And that's all you really need to know. You don't need to know the individual posts that people came from. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. I've heard a lot about that self attributed attribution where you have, I've heard on the form. So like even prior to the sales call, having that form. So to your point, it wouldn't be manual. It would be saved in your CRM under like a other box. And then you could, to your point, leverage software if you're using attribution software or minimum like Google analytics or, or simple things like that to then pair them. But I, I just, yeah, it's just so interesting how um, with marketers, I haven't wrote on it, but I want to write a concept on the delusion that we have that we fail to realize we're also buyers, we're also consumers. And if someone was to attribute like my one of my last purchases, it'd be insane. It's like, he's talking to his neighbor, he's talking to a dog, like, how did he get like, like, it's like, you can't get that on there. So it's sometimes like, when we do marketing, we kind of forget, wait, I'm also a marketed person. And I don't act the way that I'm trying to key in the people that, and I think there's, there's two ways to look at it. You could look at that in the sense of like psychology is happening under the currents, but it's really good to understand that. So then you can manipulate yada, yada. I don't think attribution is as much like that, where even if you look to your point, click by click and under the, you just get kind of this like quantum mechanics or physics where it's just like, it still doesn't make sense. Like, how does this add up? So I think that's something for me. It's like, it's less of psychology where yes, the more you understand, like it's helpful. Sure. I think there's diminishing returns on attribution at a certain point you're now not bringing value um, to the business by going so much deeper versus kind of keeping a few hands on the, the information, but you're not wasting time, quote unquote, uh, trying to cause and affect everything. Yeah, definitely. And it's always important to remember to like, when you're an employee at a company, your time is, you know, a resource for the company. And if you're wasting a lot of your time or you find yourself as a marketer, wasting a lot of time on attribution and reporting and not actually on executing, uh, that can kind of be, you know, a diminishing return for your company too, just like a waste of your time as an employee. So always good to find the balance there. 
Yeah, and I think in, in any market, but especially sometimes more uh, unstable markets, it's very helpful to be a valuable uh, employee and not someone maybe a company could look at of like, this person seems like they spend a lot of extra time, yada, yada. We could probably lose them and keep moving fine. Yeah, no, I think that's a it's a salient lesson for, for marketers, but for any person in a company to try to make your actions be of high value because you want to be that linchpin versus just a cog that we can easily uh, replace. Yeah, awesome. definitely. Well, that was really good. I think I'm well ready to jump into the hot seat. So this is the first time uh, we didn't do this in season one. So the, the wheels or the rails, we might go off the crazy train. I think I said that backwards. But regardless, marketing hot seat, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, rapid answers. You can obviously comment more if you have more comments, but we're going to go through verses. So this or that, yes and no. And then the more open-ended is where we'll finish. So are you ready, Jasmine, to get into the hot seat? All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Which is better for targeting for B2B marketing, LinkedIn or Google Ads? Ooh, this is a bit of a cop-out answer, but I say Google Ads for cold and then LinkedIn for retargeting. Uh, Google mm -hmm. Ads is really great to find people with the right intent, but not really qualified traffic and then retargeting them on LinkedIn so you can kind of get in those Re those qualifying filters and identify the right people that you want to reach. Hmm, perfect answer. Which gives a more, more accurate picture of attribution, first click or last click? I know we just kind of had a whole combo, but if you had to pick one or the other, first click, last click, which would you choose? It has to be last click, um, but first click is still going to be important, you know, only only for the stakeholders or the leaders at your company, because otherwise they'll just tell you to stop paying money in cold and cold is where all of those first click actions are going to happen. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Dynamic ads or static ads on LinkedIn? And this may not even be I don't do many ads on LinkedIn. So is that even a good question? That's a that's a great question. Um, again, kind of goes back into I'm a big or I'm a big attributor of uh, diversified ad portfolios. So you got to have both, but if you can only have one, I say dynamic uh, video ads on LinkedIn, you can retarget based on percent completed, how much of the video that they watched. And that's so powerful to have. Hmm. Now we're going to jump to the yes no's. Is LinkedIn the most effective platform for B2B lead generation, demand generation? It has to be. It has to be. It's the only way you can reach people based on the, their job titles, where they work and like their specific job functions. We can't really do that on any other platform. Hmm. Which then leads into does LinkedIn offer a good ROI for a small business or a startup trying to use ads? Does LinkedIn provide good hmm. ROI? It can, but you have to be able to invest in it. It takes time. And so if you're mm -hmm. looking for an immediate return, if you're so small that you need an immediate turn right, right there, I wouldn't suggest LinkedIn just yet. I would start with something like Google. Google Ads is a great place to start or start building your SEO presence and then jump into LinkedIn when you're a little bit further down the line. Mm -hmm. I love your nuanced answers. Those are so helpful. <laughs> is it necessary to have a formal education, whether college or whichever, to succeed in a demand generation role? Ooh, this goes against because I have a college education, but I don't think you do. However, I do think it's powerful to have that experience. I think, you know, you can learn things through that experience, how to work with people. Um, you learn a lot of business acumen there that takes longer to build up if you haven't had that experience. But in order to be a successful marketer, I don't think you need it. 
Breach, I agree. Now going to the open-ended, so this is a place where you can kind of uh, give a little bit more answer. What advice would you give now talking about someone going into demand gen to a younger marketer, maybe thinking about demand gen or seeing that it's kind of popular? What advice would you give them? Mm, I would say to get a lot of opinions. Uh, don't just you know pick one person and read everything they put out and then kind of subscribe to their way of doing it because there's so many ways to do demand gen now, and there's so many voices out there to listen to that, um, you know, if you just pick one way, you're going to lose out on so many opportunities to learn different ways to approach things. And I think learning from different teachers is the best way to come up with your own way of doing it and figure out what your, you know, secret sauces or your special way that you do things that's different from everyone else. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's usually hard for the person inside the body to to sometimes understand, yeah, where where am I best used? Or that's great. I love that. How do you stay updated, current with the stuff you're doing? Like, is there something, a resource, a practice that you do that enables you to kind of stay um, maybe in front of it even? Yeah, honestly, I, I mean, I work for a LinkedIn ads agency, so I'm on LinkedIn every day. It's pretty natural <laughs> for me to kind of hop on there and make sure I'm, you know, engaging with people for my own community building, but also um, just kind of like gathering knowledge there. So LinkedIn is a great one. I think people are really awesome about sharing value on LinkedIn. Um, I think also reading and listening to podcasts are a huge one too. There's a lot of books out there about marketing. Some of them are a bit outdated, um, but even if the you know execution side of it is outdated, I think the kind of philosophy or theory behind it is always going to be relevant. Getting into like the psychology side of it that you brought up before, that's always going to be relevant, right? Human psychology is always going to be a big piece of marketing. So um, reading a lot of books on psychology, I'm a big kind of contributor of and then podcasts, I can't, you know, underscore the the benefits of podcasts and finding different B2B marketing perspectives there too. So I think I found another one with you that I'll have to start <laughs> listening to more regularly or add to my podcast cycle. Oh, I love that. I love that. A plug on the podcast. I appreciate <laughs> that. Great answer, though. I do really think um, a, a post or something I wrote was like burn your marketing books. I think there there's a lot of value in them, to your point, but I really think there's a lot of value in reading different books, yes, on psychology, but even um, I had somebody on the podcast, World War II, these different stories where leadership and some of these principles, you can kind of understand them or try to better grasp them. And I think sometimes we can get, to the, especially nowadays with mar a new marketing book written every 25 seconds, I think there's just so many new ones that you have to really sometimes fight through the weeds of like, what's what's an older book, um, which I find a lot of value in, or, or what's like a new book, but it, I think it'll stand the test of time. And it's not, you know, a chat GPT guide or something, which, which is useful. But um, I agree with like being just open to learning is super effective uh, for marketers. That's that's great. You made it through the hot seat. You didn't die. Now we're, we're on to the last segment here where we kind of switch it. We go a little bit into life. I am a huge proponent that marketing, as we kind of talked about, there's a lot of life stuff that comes into it. Empathy, curiosity, all of that stuff. So jumping into kind of 
more hopefully life philosophical uh, answers if you could incept an idea so there's this movie called inception and it's all about these people going into people's minds or dreams incepting ideas they wake up tomorrow they say oh it's my idea to sell a com my company i'm gonna do that but really they incepted that idea now it was kind of like negative evil things they were doing <laughs> so i want to switch it and i want you to incept an idea that would be positive so tomorrow everybody in this world wakes up in your idea you incept they believe it, it's their idea, and they act out of it. What idea, what belief are you incepting? Wow. I love this question. I love that you put the the positive spin on it because I know <laughs> I've seen, I feel like that's the, the story behind so many movies, right? Like I'm going to force you to do something evil. <laughs> but if I could force people to kind of understand something positive, that's a great question. Um, I think mine would have to be kind of dispelling this misconception that you're either a technical person or you're a creative person. And I really kind of like was fell into that mindset when I was really early in my career, especially when I was in college and I felt like I needed to pick a, pick a career or pick a path that I was gonna walk down. And it felt like the paths in front of me were either you know highly technical, you don't get to be creative, you're just focused on execution, or you, know, you get to be super creative, but you're probably not going to make a lot of money or you're not going to be very technical. And I feel like um, marketers probably all feel this too, but I feel like I sit at the intersection between very technical process oriented thinking and then also being creative. Um, I kind of like to bring in the analogy of storytelling when I talk about this, which a lot of times creative people especially will bring up storytelling as this kind of non-tangible aspect of like, you're telling this story, you're connecting with people, you're evoking emotion. And of course that's a huge element of storytelling. But when you study it as a kind of creative principle or a creative process, there's so many technical breakdowns to the way that you can tell a story, right? Who are the people that you're reaching? How are you gonna reach them? Setting up the different elements of a story like the exposition, the conflict, the resolution, you know, all of that. There's technical aspects to being a storyteller. And I think the same kind of goes into marketing, the same goes into life in general. You don't just have to be a technical person. You can be very creative and still be very process oriented. So hmm. I think that's, I think more people could embrace that in their lives. I love that. I think that, again, it, it's kind of this, we've had a lot of dualities or dichotomies throughout this podcast. It's kind of the merging of them. I, I think that's so true that we can kind of be put in or put ourselves in a box. I'm not creative. I, I don't do data spreadsheets or whatever. And I think there is you, there could be someone that could argue to a point that there is some natural wiring within each different human. So my dad is an engineer. He, yes, he could be more creative, but will he be, you know, someone who creates an X, X, Y, or Z? So I think your point's valid. Do you have limiting beliefs? Can you challenge those limiting beliefs? But I also realizing too, um, certain people just have strengths and weaknesses in, in life. Um, and, and to your point, I think your story example was more of, of uh, kind of whether it's systems or just foundation thinking. It's like first principles. It's like, okay, I have a creative idea, but first principles is, is that there's a way to tell a story that can get whatever you're trying to get across better. So I'm going to use both my creativity, this idea, and also the fundamentals of first principles of good storytelling. And I don't think you need to be totally technical to do that. It's just like, you need to hold both of like, there's a way to do it, but I also have creativity, which is kind of, unhinged or uncontained does that like 
Is that, does that make sense? Or am I, I may just be crazy um, in how I think of kind of balancing them. Yeah. I love that approach too. Honestly, I think I don't remember where I got this from, but I remember um, hearing once in life, someone had told me like, you need to learn the rules and then you learn how to break the rules. So it's like, with so many things in life, right? Like with marketing or with art or with storytelling. Um, I'm a dancer. So I think this kind of came into play when I was a dancer um, that you learn kind of the technical aspects of it. Um, I, I came from a ballet background. So you learn how to do everything correctly from that perspective. And then when you go to like choreograph your own dance or tell your own story, you know, you know how the rules play out and why the rules exist. So you can break them effectively. It's not just Hmm. like people that break the rules um, have no idea what they are and are just willy nilly out here being creative, quote unquote, but they know the rules and then they know how to break it to, you know, most effectively convey the message they want to convey or tell the story they want to tell. I love that. Yeah. I think that's maybe what it is. It's a fundamentals. Those kind of the, like with basketball, it would be, you know, kind of having the good shot, but you can also find somebody in the NBA who has their kind of elbow out more. And it's like, well, how are they doing that? And it's like, maybe they know, yes, it's supposed to be here, but I compensate with something else. Like I've pushed Mm -hmm. the ball further, whatever that may be. So I think that's at the core premise of this podcast is tactics, all that stuff. Yeah. Really cool threads. Let's talk about it. But it's like, let's get to the fundamentals, the things that don't change, um, which is kind of that understanding the rules and then inventing off of them. So kind of doing something a slightly bit different remix. I uh, think that's at the core of almost all creativity or all art is kind of that process of remixing from the rules or from these fundamentals. Yeah, definitely. What is it, what is a value or a belief that you don't feel gets enough attention by humans, by people in your city, by Americans, whatever, like however you want to think about it, but like what virtue, what value do you not see enough of that we should put a little more emphasis on and we may live a better life or have a better community? Mm, I think this sounds a bit redundant because people talk about it all the time, but the value of quality over quantity People talk about it all the time. I feel like it always gets brought up, but in theory, like in theory, people know about it, but in practice, it feels like there are so many people that kind of invite excess clutter into their lives, even if they don't intend to, or if they preach this kind of quality over quantity mindset. So um, I think it's not even like it deserves more attention because it has attention, but just actually implementing it in practice, right? In marketing, you see people put out a ton of content that isn't very high quality, but then you'll see them also preach, you know, quality over quantity or in these like life relationships that you have. Like when I was younger, I definitely subscribed too much to a quantity over quality belief where I really wanted to have a lot of friends and I wanted to be super popular. And then as you get older, you realize it's better to have those quality relationships than to have a ton of friends around you. So definitely like maybe doesn't need more attention, but needs a little more practice for in some ways. I love that because I think your point's super valid. I think we have a lot of the models and what we need to do. It's just that that step to actually doing it, living kind of a life of minimalism in the sense of not being a minimalist, but just really trying to be like, what do I really need? What money do I really need to make Um, in a lot of that? And I think your point of this this change of um, expansive friends or like kind of like wide or 
deep. And I think there's just so much value and depth deep in, in just everything in life. A, being a person of depth. So it's like, sure, you could do a million different things, but there's just something that I enjoy when I connect with someone that it's like in some area, in some domain, they've, they've gone really deep. And that's cool because as someone curious, I then can scuba dive with them to that depth of like, let's go deep. And I'm someone like you as well that I never was great at having friends, but I was kind of popular or whatever. And I quickly realized I'd rather have four people that will answer my call versus 400 that I don't know if they'll pick up because we're just friends on a Friday night or we're just friends when there's a uh, beneficial outcomes mm -hmm. for both. That's yeah, tough though, uh, to your point to put into practice. What is, what is, um, what is one thing that you hope doesn't change? So this, this could kind of be a little bit in an answer you gave, but what is something that you hope doesn't change in the next 10 to 15 years? Everything's changing, chat GPT, AI, yada, yada. But like, what do you hope by 20, you know, 35 or whatever, we're still doing, we're still believing, we're still thinking. What do you hope doesn't change? Mm, things I hope doesn't change. I would say, um, I'm going to start with a little bit of a selfish answer here on like a self-serving kind of scale in myself. I hope that, you know, in 2035, I'm still going to have the passion and drive for what I do. Um, and that might be true for a lot of people, right? Like it's very much an era, especially in B2B marketing, where there's so much change happening. There's, like you said, the rise of AI, there's new concepts and strategies like demand generation that people are getting really excited about. And B2B marketing right now is shifting so much because there's so many new players in the game that are bringing new ideas and kind of like everybody seems to have this strong passion to make the kind of marketing community better. So maybe that's not too self-serving. Maybe that's something I hope that doesn't change in everyone. But um, as much as like everything is changing, the fact that everyone is so passionate about the change and wants to find ways to implement and wants to experiment, I hope that doesn't change uh, in the marketing world. I love that you know, we are perpetual experimenters as marketers. We always want to do something new. We're always trying to catch up with the new social media channel or the new way of doing things. Um, so that's always, that's a really exciting part, I think, of being a marketer and I hope would never change. Hmm. I love that. I think there, there a few thoughts came that I won't indulge too deeply on, but I think it could also be a natural state that marketing is now becoming more important in change, in change management. Uh, I mean, obviously, clearly the communication piece of marketing is super important, both internal and external through change or whatever. Um, but I think like that could be the reason why marketing is such a passionate thing for people right now. And I can only imagine the future to come with more change with all that. It would be very helpful to your wish that we all stay as passionate about this, mastering it, getting better at marketing, because I think it's going to be if not now, even then it'll be more crucial as kind of a competitive advantage of uh, people knowing, and especially as the old cast, quote unquote, retires, goes away, this new cast will take over. And if you haven't been really studying and you haven't been doing it, you're just going to do the same old thing that the old cast did. And that'll be even because now it's ineffective. So in 25 you know, years, it'll be even more ineffective to do like that print ad or whatever that old play is. And, and those have uh, places in marketing strategies, but I think it's critical that we stay passionate and curious on marketing and how it can help companies uh, grow. So I, th I like that one. Yeah. Fine. I, I love that. 
Final question, uh, Jasmine, for you before we end. What is one habit, a practice you do outside of marketing, outside of business that when you come back to do business, when you come back to do marketing, you're more refined, you're more focused. Is there one thing you do that comes to mind that helps you do marketing better? Mm, I think, and this is a habit I picked up recently. Um, I started reading a little bit about Japanese Zen Buddhism. Uh, just in my personal life, I've been practicing a little bit more meditation and trying to find like mindfulness in myself. I think just an important practice to do, you know, kind of like finding that center in yourself and, and still finding that in, in your personal life. When I bring that into marketing, the main mindset that comes to mind is this concept of a beginner's mindset that I've been reading about lately. Um, essentially what it is, is like, if you consider yourself an expert in what you do. So if I consider myself a LinkedIn ads expert, then there's only one path that I can walk down. I can only walk down the path of being a LinkedIn ads expert and focusing in on this channel. But if I take a step back and I look at myself as a beginner and I don't kind of in like, in a humble way, I I humbly look at myself as a beginner, I should say, and I'm a beginner marketer. I'm not necessarily an expert on LinkedIn ads. I'm not an expert on content or whatever it is. There's so many more paths that you can walk. You have so many more options in front of you when you have that beginner's mindset. So even though, yes, it's good to niche down, it's good to know what you're good at. It's good to consider yourself an expert on paper, for sure, for career purposes and when you're trying to pitch yourself to other people. But when I'm looking at marketing and how I want to grow as an individual, I definitely want to keep that beginner's mindset. So I'm not just walking the path of LinkedIn ads, but I also have opportunities to learn in other directions too. Hmm, I love that. I've never really heard the beginner's mind tied to optionality. That's a unique way to kind of think of it as you essentially decrease your options when you're the expert um, and you, you essentially destroy any future position that could be beneficial if it isn't your expert way. So the LinkedIn, if, if a new platform comes out, you're essentially screwed um, if you don't have that beginner's mind because you're not approaching everything. And I think one way, because beginner's mind is something that I've, uh, I've come across in my studies and stuff, and I think it's super important. Uh, and one way that I've kind of heard it said that makes it very visual is that you never step in the same river twice in the sense that even if it's the same river, uh, the water has moved. I'm a, you know, and kind of having that same mindset that there's no campaign, every campaign I attack, it's a new campaign, which then, which I I've been talking to a lot of people on this podcast, then it kicks in the, the thinking. So you're using Daniel Kahneman, um, thinking fast, thinking slow, it kicks in your system two thinking. So uh, system one thinking is kind of autonomous. Are you a good driver? Yes, I am. Are you a better driver than 50% of drivers who now I have to think what would be that average? So I think this whole beginner's mind automatically, or it's a forcing function for your system two brain to think, okay, how do I actually approach this as the beginner? And I think that's critical because as my pod, as this podcast and my newsletter really target is like, thinking is like going to be a superpower if it isn't already. So I think how you think well as being a beginner is, is having that because then you're curious, you're, you're looking for things that essentially the expert is tunnel visioned on because if it's my first time at a basketball, just thinking in like a professional athlete, like, man, I'm going to be looking like everywhere. It's going to be so amazing that experience. Now, if it's my 15th season, it's like, can we get this game over? Cause I have to fly to Houston for my next game. But so there's both not only performance, 
but I think life satisfaction that uh, beginner's mind can uh, positively impact. So that's a great one. I haven't heard that on this uh, podcast yet. So I appreciate that yeah. uh, sharing that. I appreciate your input too. I think um, your analogies are also very, very helpful in kind of helping visualize some of that because, you know, it's always, I like your, you know, you never step in the same river twice. That's such a good one. I might steal that from you. <laughs> well, you'll be stealing it from whoever I stole it from. I have <laughs> quoted that about 98% of what I say, or maybe even 99 is totally repurposed from another thinker in time, which goes to this learning and, and being open. So I love how the thread has been so um, so tangible throughout this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine, for coming on. I will have all of your show notes, whatever you want me to plug, I'll have in the, uh, I'll have your links in the show notes uh, for the listeners. So I really appreciate you spending uh, your time with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And this is the end of the podcast. Thank you for making it to the end. It means the world to me that you watch or you listen to this episode and hopefully you're walking away with new insights to improve how you think about marketing and life and help you make progress on what matters to you. But one thing before you go, if you could subscribe wherever you're listening to this or watching, that would really help out both you getting the episodes right when they come out and raising this podcast in the ranking so hopefully more people like you can listen to this. And if there's anything that I can do to make this podcast more beneficial for you, if it's somebody you think I should interview, if you're the person, please comment, please email me, it's in the show notes, so we can just continually deliver more value to you, the listener. Again, thank you for watching and have a great rest of your day, evening, week, and hope to see you here next time.